The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is Brian. So um, I recorded this podcast. I've never aired it, but I recorded this podcast about a year ago. I guess Jason will give you the exact uh, date in the show notes. And um, I didn't end up putting it up because I felt that I I kind of failed here. Um, Adam Carolla is somebody I have always admired an, an incredible amount as a broadcaster, as an entertainer, as a, and a, as somebody who has overcome huge stuff to get where he's gotten. Also somebody who has a tremendous amount of what I call like day-to-day common sense, meaning he really understands so much about how interactions between people work, how to get what you want, uh, when people uh, are holding back when they should move forward. Uh, the excuses we tell ourselves. But I also have, have always thought that his own success has, has perhaps blinded him to, to those who aren't gifted in the same ways that he is. But it's, an, it's still a thought that's not fully formed because the, the overriding feeling I have when I think about Adam is a personal fondness and warmth. But uh, when I say I failed, uh, I went in uh, to Adam's studio to do this podcast. And, um, I don't think somehow, uh, I'd wanted it to be one thing. It ended up getting off track and becoming something else. I was on terrain that I hadn't studied up for in a way. And you'll hear all this. And, and something about it made me not put it up as we were, as the election was coming, even in the years, this stuff was all going on, something held back. And I think it's my own personal failing, my, my inability to kind of get the best out of myself, but somehow in the way that I want the podcast to live now, I want to put it out there for you, warts and all, uh, with me kind of flailing around and, and failing and not being super clear on what I was doing and, and why. But I'm incredibly grateful to Adam for uh, being so generous and open, uh, inviting me into his place and having this conversation. And to hold on to the podcast feels wrong now. And so uh, here it is. I really want your thoughts. I've loved getting all the emails I've gotten since the last episode of the show. I've responded to everybody. And uh, themomentbk at gmail.com, themomentbk at gmail.com. Email me your thoughts about this, about the podcast in general, uh, about anything you want to talk about, except please don't send me any screenplays or ideas for screenplays. Okay. Here is Adam Carolla and a very flailing about kind of clueless Brian Koppelman. I didn't just use the third person uh, about myself. I mean, I did, but I, I didn't. I didn't mean to. Ah, oh, this is not going well. Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I'm here at Corolla Digital today uh, in the studio for the Adam Corolla Show. Adam, thanks so much, man. My pleasure. I'm glad to see you. I'm so used to talking to you on the phone, and when they said, uh, you're doing Brian's show, I just thought, what time's he calling in? (laughs) And they said, he's not calling in, he's coming in. No, this is great. You know, um, uh, I'll just say at the the beginning of this, like, you know, I I wouldn't have a podcast if it weren't for you. I wouldn't have uh, thought to do it. Uh, I wouldn't have known the kind of conversations that were possible. I mean, between you and Marin and my Elvis Mitchell show, The Treatment, those things are what made me 
really value the idea of these kind of conversations. So uh, I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for you. You know, I've been, as I said, since I started doing Billions, I've hardly uh, listened to any podcast. But before that, I listened to every single one of your shows. So, Well, thank you. It means so much. I, I've always said, like, I would take one compliment from one really smart person that I respected versus a thousand compliments from idiots. And that should be everyone's ratio as well. Although when it comes to selling tickets, I need, I need you folks. <laughs> no, it's true. It, it, uh, I do think that these long form conversations are, are incredibly valuable and they happen to me. So I've done, I realized I've done your, the Adam Carolla show three times, twice in studio or f- four times. We just did this great hour on your show, take a knee, which I guess will be up soon. And, but I've wanted, there are so many things, you know, even though I've listened to, I started listening to it when I was 16 or 17 or maybe 20, if I'm being honest, uh, sure. on Loveline. What, what year did you start Loveline? Must have been 95. All right. I was older. I was 28. <laughs> yeah, because I was swinging a hammer in 94. No, I was 28. So it must have been 95. But there are things I've always wanted to ask you. So I'm just going to dive in and say, sure. um, what do you think uh, people get wrong about you, despite the fact they can listen to like 100 hours of you live per week? What do you think I misunderstand? Well, that's a good question. So I guess we'll try to define the people versus sort of the man or the media. Yeah. And, and if I, so those are two different answers, I'm guessing. So we can probably do both if, if you'd like or, or yeah, one let's or the do other. Both. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. The, first of all, I, what do you think the misconceptions that the media sort of perpetuates about you? And then what do you think, Pete? Yeah, people. Uh, I think walk the media with. for me perpetuates a, a few things. One is is that I I because I'm not educated at all. That there's a kind of a, a knuckle dragging kind of Neanderthal sort of approach to comedy and uh, podcasting. It is sort of everything. I, I think the media sort of figured sort of they'll do little things like it's funny i can always tell when they don't really like me because like when they would do like they do something on love line and then go dr drew sidekick adam carolla and it's like i'm not i host the show i'm not his side <laughs> i'm not his sidekick there's a funny thing gary you can find it on my uh favorite tweets from last week but it was funny little things like we were talking with the los angeles times we did this uh car race Toyota Grand Prix, and they they sort of listed the guy came in third, and then I came in fourth, and then the guy came in fifth. And they mentioned that the guy came in third and the guy came in fifth won the race previously, but they didn't mention that I'd done it. And it's like weird little like, well, it's a weird thing to omit, you know. It's funny. It's also, boy, you shouldn't have got me started. But it's like when uh, – Entertainment Weekly did this thing on like the man shows over and now Joe Rogan and Doug Stanhope are taking over. They said, you know, after Jimmy made his ill-fated move to late night, this is, of course, 12 years ago. So a person should be fired because they have no ability to prognosticate. And then Comedy Central performed a Corollaectomy. Now, anyone who'd done their due diligence would have known that I had five lunches with Comedy Central where they begged me. And they said, I'll give you 50, we'll give you 50 grand an episode, which was good cable money back in 2001. Like, whatever it is, you can do the show alone. You can pick a new partner. You can do it with your dog. Just do season five of The Man Show. It's wildly successful. We're making a lot of money off it, and we really want you. And it got to the point for me 
where it's like Comedy Central's called again. And I'd go, I, I just can't be polite, but I cannot talk to them anymore because I know what it's going to be. And it and it was grinding me down. So I went with Jimmy to go do the late night show. I said, I want to be with my partner. The man show is me and Jimmy. We started together. We'll finish together. Take your Brinks truck, Comedy Central, and back it back down my driveway. Thank you. But no, thank you. But that gets reported as performed a corollactomy, which is yeah. like, why do you think it is? Because it's not, it's, I mean, people think I'm an asshole and they don't like me and they don't like my politics. And thus, they don't like me. And they, they have to create. It has to become some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, but what do you think uh, they think your politics are? Right. What do you think it is that they think you stand for that they hate? Suppression of women. A hatred of, uh, you know, xenophobia, hatred of others. Well, actually, only cultures that aren't doing well, the ones that are doing well, they don't seem to, they never get that one laid on me. Just a general, um, I, I think it would be a general abrasiveness with understanding, you know, people and how things work and, 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 and a sort of naive approach thinking that. People need to work harder, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, family and education, you know, being sort of out of touch, you know, somewhere between Donald Trump and Ted Nugent, you know, and I've never really said I just say things and it's a mistake. It, it is. I mean, it's a mistake in this town. But, I, you know, people say, who's a better parent, uh, two dads, two moms or a mom and a dad? And I go mom and a dad. And they go, whoa, whoa. And I go, well, listen, that's all things being equal. Like if something happened to me and my wife, I'd like David Geffen to raise my kids. But if you take the exact same neighborhood and the exact same minivan and the exact same school system, then, yes, I'm going man and a woman because my kids get a lot from my wife and then they get something different from me. So for me and again, I say to people, look, this is all things being equal and you're not giving me a choice to say it's tied. I have to make a decision and my decision is not going to be two dudes, two chicks. It's going to be guy and a girl. That's all things being equal. But now, if, if it's 55-45, I might go with the two dudes. Yeah, you're also not saying, uh, like, uh, I don't agree with you. I think that two dudes, like a random two dudes, and especially now, like a random dude and a woman, I don't think it necessarily makes a difference. I wouldn't look. I would just want to look at the people. But it's not yeah, like but, you're saying but You can't look dudes, at the people because it's all things equal. But it's not like you're here's here's the, the point. You jump on that. I say I say to you, what's uh, a misconception? And you go on about how they think you don't like people because of a certain race or you're down on women. And of course, that's actually not true. Like I've listened to hundreds of hours of you. Yes, that's not true. But you did then go to the most controversial point that you could make, which is like you're touching the third rail in a way. Yeah, I don't care. But the thing is, is. Then you become anti-gay, which is insane because I've said a million times, I think gay couples should get a tax break. I mean, they don't put their kids, oftentimes don't have kids. It's twin, double income. They go to a gay neighborhood. I, I've, I've said a million times, go to Santa Monica Boulevard around Western, place looks like Tijuana, and then just start walking toward the ocean and it'll turn into the Garden of Eden because gay folk take care of their curbs and their lawns and their curb appeal. And what happens, and I've also said this too, like you should pray that whatever neighborhood you're living in, a bunch of gay folk move in because I've been here long enough to see what Silver Lake looked like before a bunch of gay folk moved in. And I've seen what the real estate values have gone up to since the gay community moved in. So I've always said, 
I'd like to live in a gay community. Like I've never, I've never been hit on by a guy. I don't mind if I'm in a shower with a gay guy. I don't care if he looks at me or doesn't look at me. I'd rather, I'd like him to look a little bit, kick some tires for Christ's sake. At least proposition me once, but it's, and have grown up with a grandmother and a mother and a dad who literally I've always said, I think were disappointed that I wasn't gay. Like they thought that was cool. My grandmother would throw cocktail parties and she would have guys that were have the uh, guy, Harry, I can't think of his last name, but like the guys are like pioneers in the gay movement would show up. Harry Hay. If you Google Harry Hay, it'll say pioneer in the gay rights movement. Harry Hay would be at my grandmother's parties and I'd be talking to Harry who'd literally be clutching his pearls while I was telling him what I did for a living. But that's where I grew up. I, it's, it's this notion, I, it drives me nuts. It's like, I always say like, so you can be an arsonist with, and never start a fire because that's where we're at now. But that's, that's what people have to do. They have to, you think they have to sort of put you somewhere on a, a graph and pick the, what they see as the most reactionary position to be what the headline is. They have a limited am- amount of space on, in their brain and a limited amount of space on their website. Because I was just actually putting, like, in, I was just thinking about, I don't know the exact dates, but I would bet that you got to gay marriage before Hillary Clinton did. I've always. That's what I'm saying. I, I believe uh, that you got there. You know, I'm a Democrat, but I believe you got there before most Democratic politicians. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Here's the deal. You can say 100 positive things and then one negative thing. And that's pretty much what people will run with. If somebody says, who's funnier, men or women, and you go, men are funnier, but Sarah Silverman's funnier than any guy I went to high school with, and so is Kathy Griffin, and so is there's tons of funny chicks that are funnier than me and funnier than any guy I know. But if you just got to pick one or the other, I'm going this. Maybe it's for biological reasons. Maybe it's because we want to get laid. I don't know. You gave me an A or B. I just answered. My mistake is literally just not going everyone's equally funny. That you don't do the politician thing of answering your own question. You actually answer the question that's asked of you. Yeah. You can't answer questions because the questions are just sort of traps. And then when they answer, I answer them. But then when they trap you, now they try to do something with you. Right. So you're saying that, and I think it's not the, edu- it's interesting to me that you went to because you're not educated. I, I think that most journalists probably don't even think about that because you are highly educated. You just educated yourself. I, I think it's probably because the man show is the way that you yeah. came to prominent. You know, you were prominent from Loveline, um, which you started doing when I was nine years old, but then <laughs> you <laughs> became uh, really prominent nationally with the, by being on the man yeah, show, the you- thing went to another level. And that might be part of it. Uh, yeah, you're that guy. Oh, Gary. So you got to see that uh, L.A. Times thing, which is a funny thing. So but I as was... an example, just because I hate to. Uh, it, it's up there. You can look at the screen now. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. You, so it says Rod Millen, pro winner, 1995, was third and followed by Adam Carolla and Mike Skinner, the pro winner in 07 and 08. Well, I won the pro division in 2013 and the celebrity division in 2012, but they just skipped. They won't say that, but we'll put it on this show. Now we'll put it on this know. show. Now, now folks will know. I'm just saying you can kind of tell when you're not dealing with a fan. And the truth of the matter is that Millen and Skinner are so much more famous than you are that I think <laughs> that it's not fucking fair that they should have that extra thing and, and you're, you're left out. Unfair. I'm just saying, just say pro winner 2012 and then. That's all you want them to say. 
Well, you're reporting who won the pro divisions before and after. That's all I'm saying. I I'm, think I'm doing. 13th. I'm going to have Skinner on the podcast Please. after and ask him how he feels. How he feels about it. But um, well, here's the thing. I've told many people this many times, including family members and my wife. Maybe this isn't the best way to travel through life, but I've said you can't get me to feel a way about myself that I don't feel. Huffington Post, you can try as hard as you fucking want to make me feel like a racist. I'm obviously not a racist. There's no part of me that's going to pop up in the middle of the night because you wrote a headline that said, why does Adam Kroll ask Gavin Newsom what's wrong with blacks and Mexicans completely out of context after that fucking hack brought up his non-solution? You can write all that you want, and maybe it'll work for a lot of folks in the country, but you'll never get me to feel like you want me to feel about myself everybody because I know listen, who I am. Everybody should listen to that entire Adam Carolla show. I listened to the entire uh, that entire episode, and what happened there was you had a politician right. who was trying to stay on, his, who, who, who was unable to give you nuanced, legitimate answers to your questions. Well, was also as a politician who's used to a moderator jumping in every 41 seconds going, all right, next topic. And I had all the time in the world because of the aforementioned long form podcast to let Gavin Newsom explain to me how this was going to work or what the cause or the root of the problem was. Well, I, I he wanna, never was able to get yeah, to it. I want to go. We had this moment on your show the other day where I said we were talking about something, and this was on the episode of Take a Knee that is available now. Uh, if people go to your your website to to find it, um, but I was saying we were talking about hard work and showing up on time and and sort of a bunch of stuff that you and I share uh, core yes. values about, right? And I said I do think it's easy. I said Adam, I think we disagree on this. I do think it's easier if you're a, a white male that there's a, a, an, an amount of privilege that we have that's just kind of baked in that I think you reject. And you said something that, again, long form was a nuanced answer. And I was I, I was so glad to hear you say it. And it ties into the video thing you just made. You, you know, you said no. I'm not saying there's not an advantage. I, I'm just saying I don't think it helps the people who aren't to dwell on that fact for them to dwell on the fact. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. couple things. I don't like the word privilege because I am white and I grew up with zero privilege. I may have had advantages over the Boyd brothers who I played Pop Warner football with and lived in Compton, but there was certainly nothing. If you look up the word privilege, there's nothing well, about but what that word speaks to. Here's what I think that word speaks to, right? What it speaks to is studies have – real studies you could find really do show these subliminal biases that exist. Yeah, but at, and so that you walk into a room as a tall, thin, white guy who can, like, make eye contact, say hello to somebody. They see you, and there's an immediate affinity. Yes. That it doesn't exist if they're looking at a black guy no. because of certain ways that they were uh, acculturated, let's say. Yes. And so that is. But you just said tall and thin. If I was short and fat, I could actually slide under the black guy, regardless of the color of my skin, because short people, short men have a disadvantage in terms That's of another hiring. disadvantage. But I mean, there are there are I mean, the science on this. There's thing science is still... on short guys being hired. Yeah, there is. But there's. Well, well, well how do you explain it? it? But, but here's well, the... what if you're short? What if you're short? Well, you're at a disadvantage. 
I think that's true. Oh, well, why don't uh, we talk about it? I mean, it? sitting here, I'm six feet. You're six, what, three? No, I'm saying, look, Rosario Dawson has an advantage over me because she's hot. She's a woman and she's multicultural or something, but she still has an advantage over me. Because she's hot. So how does my white privilege trump Rosario Dawson? Well, it depends on the job you're going after, right? And I don't it, know. I don't know how many. <laughs> and when I was 22 and she was 22, I don't know how many jobs I would get over her. I honestly don't. But no, there's no argument about. By the way, there is no argument, and that's also talk so about there is, studies that there is. Well, Gary, you can look up privilege, but I don't like the use of the word privilege. But there's advantages to being white. Agreed. You just want the definition? Show me uh, white and lazy and black and super hardworking, and I'll take the black over that. And by the way, show me white with male pattern baldness and squatty, and I'll show you guys going to have to work harder than Rosario Dawson. Like I'm saying, there are preconceived notions, most of them based on some reality. When you see Asian guys, you think, okay, that guy's a little more studious based on a history of them being more studious over white people. When I see a white guy and an Asian guy, I assume the Asian guy is did better in school than the white guy did. And when I see the white guy in front of the Hispanic guy, I assume he did better than the Hispanic guy. Not because I'm a bigot. It's based on a performance in a history and when numbers. That, but when that kind of when that kind of thinking is institutional, it's not thinking. Yes, it is. It, it's it's reacting. A reacting. When that kind of reacting is institutionalized, it does create for the individual. It can't not it, be institutionalized. It creates for the individual problems. But what I wanted to focus a- everything, on. Everything, it's, it's not a thinking. It's a reaction. Yes, it's a And it's the reaction. Yeah. Right. Well, and I thought the deep thing that you said the other day in that video was when politicians say they're going to level the playing field, it's always a lie. Because yes, it's, it's impossible. It's the way that it, – it's interesting because the – the framing of that, I, I think, is a brilliant thing, right? Because you're saying, look, I accept the fact that the playing field isn't equal. You and I can disagree about whether uh, – whose fault it is right. that there are parts of South Central that are dangerous to walk down, right? We can dis- disagree about whether that's something that um, a bunch of individuals right. could have changed or not. Well, it's the destruction of the family, but continue. Well – the point, but look, your point. I grew Talk up with a guy point. named Tom Dent. He was a black guy, but his dad was a hand surgeon. And he was rich, and we'd go to his house and eat. I was white. He was black. He went to UCLA. Like I went and picked up garbage on a construction site. It's not all there was. I didn't have an advantage over Tom because Tom came from education, intact family, dad who was a professional, so on and so forth. So in that instance. He had the advantage over me. It was not a, a level. I didn't have a level playing field. I had a black guy ahead of me who was on the high side of the playing field. So with that in mind, it's impossible to do. I'm simply but, saying. But you had an excel. Like, here's, here's a thing that I, I, I sometimes don't hear you talk about, right? Because your journey is so fucking inspiring. And the fact that you were dyslexic, you couldn't read till you were how old? Not dyslexic. You couldn't <laughs> read till you were how old? I had to learn to read when I was like 30. And I got into having to do like live reads on the radio and stuff. But you really, yeah, you really didn't stuff. read and couldn't reading until you were like a grown Well, I mean, if you handed me a cereal box, I suppose I could figure out what the contents of the box were. But if you said to me, walk over there, hit your mark, and your cue cards are in blue and Jimmy's are in black, we got a serious problem at this point. But you were a person who had uh, an extraordinarily high IQ. I don't know that. Uh, there's no doubt. Of, you speak in paragraphs, Adam. You do know that. You All the sort of ways in which people 
quantify that stuff and measure it, it's clear because your ability to crunch a lot of information, synthesize it, and come out with a new point is in the most rarefied strata. Well, you know I, that thank because you've you. proven. No, no, it's not even a, well, a, I a see, compliment. I, I view that as a, 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 just a fact. Well, I don't know. See, and the reason I'm um, I'm not yeah. trying to be combative, but what I'm saying is, is it's hard for me to tell how much of that I was born with versus developed and uh, you know it's it's and no one will ever you know chicken or the egg kind of thing no one will ever know but what i'm saying is is i'll I'll put it to you this way i was able to successfully navigate really about the first 30 years of my life without a human being saying hey you're smart that's what i was that that's number one like so whatever i had certainly wasn't paying any dividends and there, nobody around me was able to, you know, feel the the glow of a superior uh, IQ emanating from me and somehow pick up on that. Whether it was parents, teachers, counselors, bosses or whomever, it was never pointed out to me. So whatever I had, I was doing a pretty good job of playing it pretty close to the intellectual vest without letting people see my hand. And I made a lot of decisions and did a lot of things that would certainly fall under the heading of stupid. I wasn't the kind of dude who like, well, you know, if he only applied himself, he could have been an A student. No, I, I it, once in a while I would try to apply myself. It didn't work. Like, so I developed this thing that I continue to develop. And this is why I'm sort of a cheerleader for this. You know, who cares where you're born or what side of the playing field you're on? Let's, let's get to work people that I sort of went, what works, what doesn't work. And most importantly, treating life like a gin rummy hand and going, I don't need this, these cards, like these, these I'm going to discard. They're not helping me. They're not serving me. Let's get rid of that. But this, I need to work on this. I need, I was realistic in that, I I said to myself, here are the things that you're good at. And then I went, here's a whole shitload of stuff you're bad at. So let's try to focus on the stuff you're bad at and see if we can't get it, get it up. When did you do that? When did you start? So when did you sort of start the process of trying to change yourself actively? I had a sort of slightly come to Jesus kind of moment for myself when I was probably, you know, 23, 22, 23, where I just sort of went, let's try to really figure out big picture what's going on here. And I said, well, you know, everyone in your family and everyone around you is poor. So we can eliminate the, you know, when Uncle Gus dies, oh, yeah, you're going to be dying. Yeah. So since I eliminated that, and then I kind of eliminated the, well, if you just, if you you went back and hit those books really hard, maybe you started in a junior college and then you could transfer to a a four-year university. I kind of looked at that option and went, no, there's nothing in your past that would indicate that you would have any success at all in that realm. And then I said, uh, all right, so what are we talking about here? And I realized a lot of hard work mixed in with a lot of no pay mixed in with a lot of sort of dubious associations with guys you meet on construction sites that aren't, that are going down the same path you're going down, just sort of life of toiling. Like I said, I was used to you know, no benefits, no health care, no, not getting paid on Christmas. And if you missed a day, you didn't get paid for that day. And I could sort of thought, you want to own a house, don't you? Like, how are you going to own a house and make the mortgage payment 
when you can't save up enough for the down, no one in your family has enough for the down. No one's going to co-sign anything. And furthermore, if it rains for a week and you don't go to work because it's muddy, you can't make your mortgage that month. And I just thought this is not a good like prognosis. This this swinging of the hammer job is not going to do it. So then I started thinking about, well, there are other things like maybe you could be a merchant marine. That seems like steady pain. It seems like you could ship out for two months and save money. Maybe they have a union or something with some benefits. Maybe you could get a job. Maybe you know somebody. I tried to be a fireman. That's right. where the white privilege kicked in. They told me we're not hiring white people. I was like, but I'm poor. And they're like, color to skin. So that did get me, that did set something in my mind. Yes, they, they said. And you couldn't understand that as a remedy for something. Well, not as a remedy. You couldn't, under, I'm saying you no. actually, you are, you, but you are, you can understand that as a remedy. Can not you? as a remedy. I mean, you can understand, you can't understand uh, as social policy. Let's look at a police force for a second in an area that's largely black. Right. You can't understand who that has a history of no black cops. Yes. You can't understand saying we have what to What about a large reflect. Asian population? Yeah, fine. Do we need an Asian police? Yeah, yes. We do? Yes. Well, Asians they, are being shot Asians down wanna, in the street? If the, yeah, yeah, you should have a, in my now mind, you sound you like Gavin a, Newsom. No, you should have a, I'm not What about like a Jewish Newsom, community? Because I'm actually answering What about questions. Jewish community? Um, religion doesn't appear, uh, uh, it's not an external characteristic. You wouldn't the know the way. Jews in the Jewish community? Oh, well, which ones? You're talking well, about- Well, should the Jewish community, gonna... here's the deal. Should the Jewish community have Jewish cops in, What's in the Jew- I reject that there's a there Jewish community. Go down to Fairfax. Community. I'll and show I, you a Jewish community. A, I mean, I'm a Jew. Well, you got to go down to Fairfax. I'm an atheist, there's a Jewish atheist community. Jew. There's a Jewish community in Fairfax. I'm saying, yeah, if, if there were, yes, if there were no Jews on the police force. Well, there probably aren't, but let's go. Well, come on, we study. No, All right. If there were no yes. Jews on the police force. Yes. In yes. an entirely Jewish community. Right. And Jews wanted to be on the police force. Yes. I would suggest that one could make the argument, yeah, that uh, so, right. yeah, one can make the argument that there should be some representation. I, I, especially if, to what, me, especially the, if to there me, was a, the representation is the racist notion. I am fine with having an Indian doctor and an Asian dentist or and a black dentist. I don't need the representation. No, part. Here, here's the idea. I said if they want to be, and that there has been an institutional. Oh, they want to be, yeah. But, but I'm saying if there was an institutional bias against them for a long time. In other words, if the okay. cops were all Irish white guys, yeah, and they would only let Irish white guys in that's, as cops. That's wrong. That's wrong, and right. that's the problem that was being remedied when someone said you are not going to get the job. Right. I'm saying that's, and that is, to me, well, I don't understand, off, explain to me why uh, that's not legit. Well, first off, remedy, a fire department being black, Hispanic, or female is not a remedy to me. There's no remedy. It's just the, the fire department. Now, to me, if you're black and want to be a fireman, you should have the same shot as being white and being a fireman. But it should be socioeconomic based. I would rather them say... Okay, I'll, I'll throw you one. What if my friend Tom Dent, the rich black guy, wanted to be a fireman over a destitute white guy? Here's where I think you and I disagree, but I don't understand why you would disagree with if you really think about it for one second, as you say to people all Well, the time. answer my question. Rich, I'm gonna, rich black guy I'm, over poor white guy. I promise I'm not going to evade your question. I promise right. I'm going to answer it directly. Go ahead. If that fire department had a history of not letting any black guys be firemen— Well, let's say they then, do— which is that if they do what they have, they a have a history 
Um, they have a history. I mean, it's maybe maybe it's not up. I mean, not last Wednesday, but fifty years ago, or forty saying. years let's ago, say there they is have a history. history. And let's say when that that this is in the first wave after that history. Well, so no, nah, okay. Yeah, when you were okay, trying to be a fire person, that. then yeah, yeah, it's been twenty then, years. Then yeah, Tom Dent should be a fireman over okay, you. So rich guy over poor guy. In that specific, you're doing the thing to me of making me answer the question. Like, well, I agree. All I, I disagree. You're, I'd say give it to the poor guy over the rich guy. Uh, even if the department was all white, all Irish. Well, as many of those departments were for a long time. I, I understand, and my feeling is: first off, I don't demand, and I and it's racist and it's hurtful to the community to demand that they be represented in this way. There's almost Asians flourish in this country with little to no representation because they just go out and get some. They don't have representation that is equal with their population. They don't give a shit. Now, what do you want to do with the Asians? Get them more representation? Again, if an, I, I, this is, I mean, look, we well, can we have, have a, a history. We have a history have, of suppressing Asians. Well, yeah. If you ever, if you watched that movie about uh, General Tso's chicken, that great documentary, there was a period in San Francisco where a- Asians had all these restaurants, and then they got completely shut out of them again and shut down. Yeah, I would say this. I would say that if uh, a police department had no Asians and they were in China, yes. Let's say there are no Chinese cops in Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you're going to these crazy. N- no, I'm, not. I'm, th- not. Th- th- I'm, I'm talking about you- representation, like senators. Congressmen, well, no, that's that we get mayors, to... that kind of stuff. They're they're underrepresented, yet they over deliver in their success in this country. I'm not drawing a straight line to having a black mayor and having blacks have success in that city. I'm just wondering if you that's learned the I'm right. Saying. I'm just wondering the, that one lesson. And you know, Adam, this is from somebody who I admire the shit out of you and like you and think you're one of the smartest guys walking around the planet. But I do think that the lesson, and I think that. You know, I wanted to ask you about this. The the you know, you've used this kind of anger and rejection as fuel for your career. It's pretty and yeah. for your journey. Well, listen. Uh, here's my here's what I'm saying. I traveled through LAX. I traveled through LAX two days ago. The TSA is predominantly African American. I, as a white person, do not feel like I need folks that look like me to either pat me down or push me through the thing or check my bag. I don't feel underrepresented. I don't feel threatened. I don't feel anything. I just feel like this is a job that attracts, like there are many jobs that attract women, preschool teachers, just attract women. That's what they, firemen attract males, for instance. Now they're trying to get more females in there, but it turns out this job attracts males and certain cultures go toward Certain for whatever reason, some of it negative, but some of it positive. That's what their dad did or something. That's what the attraction is. I'm just saying the precept of me feeling like I need to be represented when I walk through TSA is semi racist and a little bit scary in terms of going down the wrong road. I feel like. Do you think if uh, white people apply for the TSA jobs? Yes. They're rejected on the basis of their skin color. No. Right. That's all. All right. And I don't think that happens at the uh, L.A. Fire Department either. Now. Well, now. Now. In the last 30 years now. Now. Yeah, but you were 22 years old 30 years ago when you were trying to get uh, that job. And I'm just saying that I can see – I'm just saying – like my my son – No, I get what they were doing. I'm just saying – 
I would like them to factor like, in your so your economic look, background. Uh, uh, my son goes to Harvard, and when he was applying to Harvard, he said to me, "Look," and he wrote about it actually, and he meant it. And he said, "If I lose a spot because of affirmative action, I accept it." He's like because, and his point of view was. If there is some person of color who's worked as hard as I have, who just didn't have certain advantages that I have, and the institutions will be better for having this kind of diversity, I'll accept the fact that I don't get to go there. All right. But at some point, you'd have to I'd ask your son, whatever he did on his SATs. I, they've changed them around since I didn't take he them. He did, but, uh, you know, uh, really, really, really well on them. Well, give me a number. Let's let's brag That's about it. That's not fair to do, but let's say 99 and a half percentile. All right. So he would accept a Hispanic man, let's say, who did a 75 percent. Uh, but you, there's you, a I, cutoff point where he would start getting angry. You'd have to ask him, but his, his point, I'll now, send you what he wrote. His point. I don't have a problem, by the way, with. The Hispanic woman who does the ninety nine percent too, right? But his I point was losing talk- a spot. His point was losing a spot to someone who, on paper, maybe uh, didn't have the extracurriculars he he did because he grew up on the Upper West Side mm-hmm. of Manhattan I with agree access with to all this stuff. He's like, look, if someone did as well as me and I lose right, to well, them, did as well as you, that's then fair. that's fine. I don't care about that. Okay, I'm fine with that. It's only if they didn't crack fifty percent well, that's when I do care. But I do want to talk about the ways in which uh, and uh, in which this anger, like you were talking a second ago about your Kickstarter, you mentioned it right when we were about to start this. That your Indiegogo you did, right, or did you do Kickstarter? I did Indiegogo. Indiegogo, and oh no, wait, I did Fund Anything. Sorry, oh Fund Anything. Sorry. You gave on, me an A or B. See, I always answer A or B. Well, you knew it wasn't Kickstarter. That's what you know. No, it's funny if you give me an A or B question, I never give you a C. But this was a C. This is Fund said, Anything. I said I. Um, you know, I'm one of the people who financed your movie, Rode Hard, because you did it on Indiegogo. And I remember a rant you went on that I love. Fund anything, but go ahead. <laughs> Indiegogo and Kickstarter. But no, fund anything. I remember this rant you went on when people were writing about a bunch of these community-financed, crowdfunded films, and you weren't included in a bunch of these articles. You know, you raised over a million bucks to fund the movie. And I remember you feeling, once again, angry about that. Yes, we, we actually had somebody from my camp although not urged on by me, but the one the guy wrote the movie with, who is in the industry and much sort of more in the industry than I am, say to like EW, like, here's a story. I mean, you know, Zach, Zach Efron, <laughs> who's a, oh, I got Braff. My mind. Zach Braff and right, yeah. other folks like that, they make movies for a living and have, I really don't, but this is a crowdfunded podcasted, what is it? This is a cool story. If you're going to report on this subject, why not include what might arguably be one of the cooler stories in this? And they just told him to go pound sand. And that's to me when it became like, look, I don't mind being overlooked, but to be pushed out is kind of a weird to be omitted. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I felt don't, that I don't, way too. I felt it was wrong. I don't mind too. a brain fart. I just mind the part. And you feel it's inten- You feel it's intentional. I mean, look, if you just want to crunch some numbers let's do it yeah all right i made a movie called the hammer the, the hammer is at 80 percent with the regular critics and 81 percent it's the, a really good what, movie. whatever and 89 yeah. with the fans on rotten tomatoes and again look I, i'm not i never say everything hey it's the greatest movie ever made or worst movie. i just say look there's there's a we only have really a yardstick or two to measure the hammer by it got sports illustrated best Sports movie of the year. It got two thumbs up at the movies. It, it got 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, so I think 
without me and my emotions it's involved. Objectively a good film. Objectively a good film. It got submitted to Sundance, and the guy said, "I, I don't, I don't like Adam Carolla, so take it home." So we never got into Sundance, which to me I would take as. By the way, 75% of the movie's not clearing the 50% mark on Rotten Tomatoes. I can objectively say, well, I, I think that was a personal thing. By the way, the thing that's funny is the director of The Hammer is a gay man who did Legally Blonde too. with his, his credits. <laughs> Charles Herman Wormfeld, and he was extra gay. And uh, I said, uh, I pick you to direct me in my first feature film. So, again, it's one of those pe- people never look at any of that stuff. They just go, he hates gays. Like, yeah, that's right. So I hired gay guys to direct my first mo- sports movie, by the way. He didn't even know anything about sports. So that movie did not make it in. The Paul Newman racing documentary, which is at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, or 90 with the critics, one guy out of Canada who doesn't like me, uh, gave it a whatever, got it to 90. But with the top critics, 100%, maybe 95% with the people, and had Robert Redford in it, that did not make the cut either because it said directed by, produced by, and put my name. And as I always kid, but I meant it, I said to my my wife's friend saw it before it came out, and she said, oh, my God, well, this this is going to Sundance. Sure. And I said, no, it's not. And she said, how can it not? And I said, because it's got my name on it, and I am not the guy you want at that club, at that party. I'm not part of that group. And I think furthermore, I think what I really have tuned into as it pertains to that and and my sort of ire, which is interesting, it has a pretty big financial impact on your movie when you can't get it to a film festival like Sundance. Like it's one thing. It's like, Hey, Huffington Post called Adam Carolla a douchebag. Like that's fine. But when you don't take my documentary that, that does have a taking food off the table kind of effect. And it didn't get into Toronto either. I don't know how many we tried to get it into, but in, in terms of the biggest in the land and, and bragging rights and what you want on the, the garland, cover, the garlands your, you want to put on the right. front of it. Yeah, no. And uh road hard, same thing. And again, if you take the average rotten tomato score and the rotten tomato score of those three films, for instance, you would see mathematically probably should be accepted. Now I just said to my wife's friend, look, if it said directed by Jules dash, they'd, Bring in, and she paused. She said, "Jules Dash," and I said, "Yeah." And she said, "Is that even is that a guy or a girl?" And I said, "Exactly. It would be better. It would be much better." So that is a example. Now, here's what it is on a psychodynamic yeah. level. Yes, here's what it is. They, whether it's Huffington Post or the assholes that run Sundance, they love to call me stupid. They're not smart like you. See, you understand that just because we disagree on a lot of issues socially that we both can't, we both can still be smart people. Well, we just have more in We have so much more in common right. than we don't. Yes. Right. So we, you don't say Adam Carolla doesn't want to integrate the L.A. Fire Department, so he's stupid. They say Adam Carolla's stupid. And what's going on on a, a psychodynamic level that I've sort of examined this on is, if Adam Carolla, the guy who's the knuckle dragger, who used to be all about beer and trampolines, who loves wrenching on cars and building on houses, and who has none of the trappings of an artist, 
if he invades our little party with a piece of work that's as good or better than our piece of work, then the jig is up. Or we can all take a long look in the mirror and try to and probably take our berets off because the party's over. So I have this feeling that they don't want to acknowledge what I do because it lessens their achievements. But it's interesting, right? You'll 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 point to the critics, but you don't take solace in the fact because you could easily have the critics also going, fuck this guy. But the fact is that the the so now Some you're dealing with but now you're dealing but a very small percentage twenty percent nineteen percent well uh, but, but the but point is yes and it, it, it goes to the question like when you say nobody recognized that you were smart when you were young right I can't really believe that that's true I I feel like you would use the <laughs> fact that these people think you're an idiot to go like I'm gonna go fucking prove something well I I wonder I, about I had that. the distraction of being extraordinarily athletic right. when I was a kid and because I had this incredible sort of athleticism that fell apart soon as I was puberty say, it kicked it in abandoned you it is yeah. it is well no it's I I still can you know ride a unicycle off a park bench and stuff but and I, by the way you can also win the pro division in 2012 <laughs> I don't want to forget not, listen so I don't want to forget LA Times I don't want to forget but that I because I had this bizarre athleticism, I, that's what was always focused on. Like, oh, you're going to bowl the NFL. You're going to be a ball player. You're going to do this. You're going to do it. So it's sort yes. of whatever the intellectual side of it sort of fell by the wayside. But to answer your question, nobody in, in a way that was impactful, nobody smacked me on the ass and said, you're a smart little cookie or something like that. So but, how did you know? This is the right. How did you figure out then, even when you were – you know, when you were trying to figure out this path and you took, you know, you did the improv thing and you got the call, ability to call into Jimmy, how did you know, what gave you sort of like the bedrock feeling that it was worth the effort? Because a lot of people, when they're not getting that from yes. the outside world, don't get, what gave you the feeling it's worth it? Um, it's always funny because people go, how did you know? And the answer is always, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I did not know anything. So people have this concept that you must know something in order to embark on the journey. N I did not know, and neither did you. So, so A, didn't know. But it doesn't mean you don't embark on the journey. It just means you, you don't know. So didn't know. And then B, pure and utter desperation. The alternative wasn't join my father in his successful law firm. Right. The alternative was sleep on a futon. Well, well so this is, and I, we, I know we have to wrap up uh, because I know you have somewhere you have to be. You got a couple minutes All more right. for you. Good, thanks. Um, when you were, uh, a lot of people think they have to really calculate and plan it out. And if they don't have like the perfect plan right. at the beginning and they don't know, well, okay, but if I write the thing, how am I going to get the agent? And if I don't, I mean, so I feel like that um, stops people. It's very disempowering. Well, it is. It is because if you follow it like you're putting together a nightstand by Ikea and you open the instructions of life and you start going down, okay, one, pull everything out of the box, two, I have to find this uh, metric Allen confirmat screw, and then you go, I can't find these screws. Wait a minute, where are the screws? Maybe they were missing the screws. I don't think they're in the box. Honey, have you seen the screws? Yeah. No. Well, how do you get to step three? So if you lay out a, a plan, if you lay out instructions and you stumble two squares in, how are you getting to the part where you have an end table? My thing is, is you need an end table. Start going down that end table road. You may 
divert. Yeah, I wrote that down to say, which is it seems like your pa- idea is like start on the way. And then if you have to course correct, course correct, as opposed to thinking you have to plot each step along the way exactly, exactly right. Well, also, people, you shouldn't think that you can plot anything that involves a whole bunch of other people telling you either no, you can't be a fireman or no, you can't get into Sundance. How are you going to plot getting into Sundance if you can't get into Sundance? You know, you, you, you don't get to talk on both sides of the phone. You only get your end. The other person can be on the other side saying, fuck off. So you can't run along and grab their phone and go, absolutely, 100%, and then run back to your end. Be prepared for that. You see, I, this is why I find that ultimately, even though we do disagree about a bunch of sort of like um, remedies along the path, I find your message to be a super empowering message to people who I would say have been historically disadvantaged. Me too. Right? Your message. I never deny that. My message is you have been historically disadvantaged. Now it's 2016. Let's do what we can do so that. 30 years from now, we're not looking back at 2016 going, well, they were historically. No, let's just go forward. Uh, Everybody. And and again, I'm including anybody with asymmetry in their face, (laughs) anybody with one leg a little shorter than the other, anybody, any guy who's under five, eight and a half, like all of us. Let's go take over the world. You're including everyone except Asians who you think are on a rocket ride. Well, they could could roll a massive success. They could slow the roll a little bit. No, honestly, Asians, if you're listening, you could probably take your foot off the accelerator and honestly enjoy the ride a little bit more. Stop beating yourselves up with the A minus. Adam Carolla hates pretty... Asians for being too good. That's no, the, no, I mean, I mean every culture, I, I think you could say to almost any culture, like, I, I do believe that the Asian community and the Hispanic community could get together and the Hispanic community could go, hey, man, you got to crack a beer on the weekend and whack at a pinata every once in a while. And the Asian community go, all right, but during the week, you got to hit a book a little harder and I'll hit the pinata a little harder. And in some way, we'll end up having a nice life where we have a balance of both. So, all right, lastly, mm-hmm. when uh, is the last time... <laughs> Gary's laughing as it hit the book and the pinata a little all harder. Right. All right, so... When is... We should p- fill pinatas filled with books. That'd be an awesome, <laughs> that would do it. We'll get Asians to make pinatas filled with books. Yes. When is the last time you admitted you were wrong about anything? Um, I do a lot of building projects and I also try to run a business. And so there are plenty of times when somebody says, I told you Brian was coming in in person, not phoning in. And I said, no, you never told me that. And then they pop an email up from two days ago because it was in the email. And then I go, I'm sorry. I didn't read the whole email. I just saw the headline that I was doing his show. I, and when it comes to building, you bet the thing about building is it's literally concrete. Like you'll, you'll fuck up 10 times a day and you'll have to say now you're so you're searching for a, a bigger global well, I guess what I'm asking issue, is, but, are you still in the practice? I guess what I'm asking is, uh, you had to fight so hard uh, to get the your 
not only to have success, but to have uh, the platform for you to be able to articulate the stuff that you figured out about the world and the stuff that you figured out is what made you successful. Like yeah. you figured a bunch of stuff out that was different than the way other people thought. It Riff. turned out that a bunch of people wanted to hear it and it's what broke you through to the, to the masses and gave you this like empire that you have. But yes. the – do you still – are you still in the practice of trying to take in information and test your your thesis against the world? Are you I, still actively yes. engaged? Well, in I, I think – and uh, Gary will chime in. Again, this will be a semi-satisfying answer, but we'll see. We have a lot of decisions to make around here. Which T-shirt design do we want to go with? Which label on which bottle should we go with? What shall we do at any given time? I – Almost always walk to the back of where we're sitting right now, sit down with everybody and say, which one do you like better? And then usually go with the crowd consensus on most of everything. Would you say that's correct? 19 out of 20 times. Yeah. So Gary picks the T-shirts. I have a great aesthetic eye and I do sometimes say to him, well, I like this part of this one better and that part or here's why I don't. But 19 out of 20 times I go with the with the crowd when you're holding the uh, winning documentary in front of you, when it was told that it was a TV show with me in it and a film with me out of it, I promptly took me out of it. So I do that for me. I, I I'm not looking for any hollow victories. I don't want to go. I picked out this t-shirt. That's not selling any units, right? I, you want to win. I'd rather have somebody and I'll be the first to, when somebody I'm saying said, you want the endeavor to win. I'm not saying you don't care the, about what you want the endeavor to win. Well, the thing is, is I'm coming out with an IPA or I'm now out with an IPA and it's delectable and it's called Adam Carolla's Endless Rant. I, and there, someone came up there and they said, I love that title. That's a great title. And I said, I didn't come up with it. It's the first thing out of my mouth. But second thing is my name's on the bottle. I'll just cash the checks that somebody else came up with. I don't have an ego in terms of whose idea is it or who's who's picking it out. I have a more global thing, which is if I'm selling it and my name's on it, I would rather your title be on it. If it's a eight and a half versus mine being an eight and a quarter, I still will pick yours. I never got people that fought for their ideas. You have to deal with this in the room. When an idea is clearly better, go with it. You'll hammer the checks. Now, on a more global, from a more global perspective, in terms of like, what do you think of culturally what's going on? When you've been wrong about this, that, and the other, I would say if there was one subject that I'm, that I've, I've re-examined in life, it would probably be transgender. I'm still not, I'm not for transgendered bathrooms at the, at the grade school level or transgender bathroom, but not a sort of one, you know, use whatever you like policy. I'd like there to be a policy, but the fact that when I started doing love line, you know, 20 years ago, back when you were 14 and somebody <laughs> said, I want to go full op. Like I want to, yes, I, I want to cut off my phallus and scrotum. I would be like, that's insane. And you really need to talk to somebody for a long time before going under that knife, because I cannot think of a definition of more insane than me. Now, after so many years and a lot of information, I do feel like there's a genetic component that this actually exists. I still feel like there's a, a large group of people who may not have that genetic component and may have other 
factors at work and that should still you should be explored for you, not for me. I'm I'm fine with my junk. But You'll keep that it. is a topic if you're looking for like sort of a no, yeah, that's a, exactly. a topic where I went, well, I've thought about it. I've I've seen more cases and more things. I don't you know, I'm not on the bandwagon where it's like, hey, these people need to be taken care of or they need to be held down uh, or anything. But I've thought about that particular dude, topic. Yeah, I'm not I'm not looking for the bandwagon. What I'm looking what I wanted. And I'm so glad you ex- you answered exactly because. I think it's really important if you're if, if the idea is you think people believe you're just a reactionary Neanderthal who has this thing, media, these people at the beginning. There you go. Like there's an example of you engaging these conversations, thinking about it, listening, examining it against your own instinct, beliefs, subliminal biases. Sure. And and getting to a point where you come out uh, on the other side. Right. And I, I think hopefully everyone engages in that in some way, shape or form. But for me. 92% of the time I'm right. And I come out with things like stop using the antibacterial soap and take the corrective helmet off the kid. And let's have venereal sniffing dogs and cancer sniffing dogs. And, and, and the problem is it all comes to fruition. Here at is some the point. problem. The problem the, is, and we'll end here, which is that I know, and this is the problem about uh, having someone who you think is, is so smart as I do about you. Like, I know you're right about the antibacterial soap, but I can't take, I just, I have to use it. I cannot stop my own uh, pathology. Well, you know I what? I know you're right. What, what, it's bad for the, by the way, here's what I know you're right. It's bad if we all do it. Suddenly only the very strongest bad shit. I understand all of it. Yeah. Uh, that said, I'm going to leave here after shaking everybody's hand, get in my car, and I'm going to immediately pu- Purell all over my fucking hands. And I'm going to eat almonds off the ground that a pigeon spit out You don't even mouth. have uh, – I had to go I, – I pissed in your urinal uh, here, and then there was no way to wash my hands. I had to go find a sink and then wash my hands in the sink. <laughs> well, here's, here's what I'd like people to do, and I know it's hard because it's this weird thing that obviously you run into a lot in life, and I run into it with my wife, you know. It's like weigh the data – Make the decision, and then next. Do not try to remove yourself because you're going to muck it up because there's data, and the data can't have you taint it. It's it's sort of a clean surgical room where there's an operation going on, and you can't stumble in there wearing your board shorts and flip-flops, picking your nose. Like, you're going to corrupt this sterile environment known as data with much, your emotions. Much as you will, by the way, if you're a doctor in an actual operating room and you don't wash your hands. Yes, so ironically. This, none of this stuff. Uh, the is, data suggests they should wash they your should hands, wash but their the data hands. suggests that you shouldn't. So here's the thing weigh it, understand it, and then move on without factoring yourself in, which is really just a narcissistic endeavor. It is. And it's sort of like if riding a horse is more dangerous statistically than riding a motorcycle and you have, again, there's no C, just an A or a B, and you and your wife have to decide whether to get your child a horse or a motorcycle, you have to get them a motorcycle. Everyone I know would get them a horse statistically they're more likely to break their neck on the horse. So what I'm saying is because you love your children, remove yourself from the equation and go down to that Kawasaki dealership. Fantastic. <laughs> Adam Carolla, thank, dude, thank you so much. Uh, I love talking to you. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you, Brian. See you.